BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ben, please stop staring out the window. We have a show to do. <laughs> oh, focus, Ben, focus. My God. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, quick, can we get a porta potty update? There's a porta potty outside Ben's Alley. It's been there for about a year and a half, maybe two years. Let's, uh. uh hey, get out of it! <laughs> squirrel went in there. A lot of action going. I think the squirrels are smoking reefer in there just between you and me, D. Mm-hmm. <laughs> By the way, actually, I got to I confess the other day, I, we weren't on the air. It was Sunday. Don't quote me on that. Could have been Monday. Probably Monday. I saw somebody actually go into the porta potty. Oh wow! Yeah, I was like, "Whoa, where's Dennis when I need him?" Was it just like some random person, or was it like a city worker? Or? Uh, you know, didn't have time to go down and ID the fella, but uh, so I have no idea who he was, Damn. what he was. Doing. Uh, you know, it's there. What the heck? That would have been he a great. Por- that would have been a great <laughs> segment for the show, the porta potty update. I know it's, uh, and wouldn't you know it? The day we're not doing the show is the day I see a guy go in there. I'll be damn. All right, buddy. Well, hey, focus. We got a doctor on the program today. All right. Yes, we do. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, April 22nd is just moments away. But before we do this, let's thank our sponsors. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, our sponsors, as well as the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to smoke. And so much more, chicagoreader.com. Also, the latest column from our very own Ben Jarofsky is there. And speaking of Ben Jarofsky, chicagoreader.com slash Jarofsky. There you will find our archive of episodes. Ben, we are almost to 1,000 episodes. We're almost there. Yeah. I think we'll... Uh, Anything you'd like to say before we hit 1,000? Yeah, we're, we're like Cal Ripken. Now, that's, that's a name that I, my millennials are like, what is that? Are we that talking senior or junior? Who uh, was, what's that? Senior or junior? <laughs> the words can't come out. I'm stunned. Very impressive. Yes, Cal Ripken Jr., I'm thinking of, played all those games in a row for the Baltimore Orioles, had a father who is Cal Ripken Sr. And how young Dennis know, knew that, I do not know. But anyway, longevity. Just showing up all the time. Uh, Mark Sims, uh, good friend of the show, uh, heard how I was trashing Woody Allen. So he, <laughs> Mark Sims suddenly rose to the defense of Woody Allen. We should bring him back just to have him defend Woody Allen. But anyway, he sent me a, uh, an email that showed a picture of Woody Allen. He goes, with that famous Woody Allen quote, in this, I've heard it two different ways, but the, the way Mark sent it to you is 80% of success is just showing up. I've heard it is 90% of success is just showing up. So, D, if nothing else, we're proving Woody Allen was right on that point alone. Go check out our endless archive of episodes, and you can be a binhead. Yes, that's what we call avid listeners of this show. You can uh, help out the Ben Jarofsky show. It's a three-tier system. You can either be in the alley. I don't think there's a porta potty involved. Uh, the Avenue, or you can be living large on Benny Boulevard. For more information on how you can help the Ben Jarofsky show, chicagoreader.com slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. The Ben Jarofsky show starts now. 
It is Thursday, April 22nd, and live from my apartment in his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, downstate doctor, Dr. Pamela Gronemeyer. Now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Eddie Burke's Back Thursday. And here's why. He's back, ladies and gentlemen. No, I'm not talking about Michael Jeffrey Jordan, who made that saying famous back in 1995 when he returned from his first retirement by, I think he said it by fax, faxing out a message to the newspaper reporters that said, I'm back. Although the way the Bulls are playing these days, a 58-year-old Michael Jeffrey Jordan would be an improvement. No, I'm not talking about basketball or, Ed, or Michael Jordan. I'm talking about Alderman Ed Burke. Alderman of the 14th Ward since, I want to say, 1971. Don't quote me. Anyway, folks, there's much to talk about on the national level. So much of it horrible and miserable and demoralizing. The Republicans, for instance, are trying to make it legal for MAGA to run over protesters who take to the highway to protest police shootings. (laughs) There are bills advancing all over the states, limiting liability in such matters. The things Republicans are addressing. On On the international front, the pandemic is out of control in India. Global records for daily infections. I just read this, 312,000 yesterday. Police shot a 16-year-old black girl in Columbus, Ohio. MAGA's going berserk, trying to cancel LeBron James' culture because of a tweet he put out and then deleted. The world's insane. So I need some relief. So thank you, Ed Burke. Thank you for providing me some relief. Okay. This is not just frivolous. This is not just something to use as a punchline. It's a serious charge. Ed Burke charged with using his awesome powers as the all-powerful chairman of the all-powerful City Council Finance Committee to force folks looking for zoning approvals or TIF handouts. And there's a lot of people with looking for TIF handouts from the city to hire his property tax appeal business. That, my friends, is pretty sleazy. Fed's got the goods on him because another sleazy alderman, Danny Solis, who is chair of another all-powerful committee, this being the zoning committee, was wearing a wire. By the way, let's just pause to think about this. For over a dozen years, two of the most powerful aldermen in the city of Chicago were freaking sleazoids, allegedly. Just sort of think about that, ladies and gentlemen, when you think about the city that you live in, that the city that whose representatives you've been voting for all these years, whose mayors you've been voting for all these years, the two most popular, it was like Mayor Rahm and Mayor Daly looked at all the aldermen in the Chicago City Council and said, hmm, who do I want to run the two most important committees uh, in this council? I know, I'll take the sleazy alderman who's shaking down people for his property tax business and the sleazy alderman who is shaking down people. Not quite sure why Danny is uh, shaking down uh, people. Anyway, Burke's in trouble because Danny Solis got in some kind of trouble with the feds and to minimize the fallout from the trouble he was in. In other words, to get less prison time, Apparently, Solis agreed to wear a wire. So for a couple of years, he was tapping his conversations with Burke. And then the feds apparently used the goodies of Solis's conversations with Burke to convince the judge to put a tap on Burke's phone. Oh, man, I cannot wait for those tapes to be released. Burke's no fool. 
He's hired some of the sharpest criminal defense lawyers in the world who are really good at fighting the feds. And why are they so good at fighting the feds? Because they used to be federal prosecutors. Let's just think about that, ladies and gentlemen. We train these dudes with our public dollars and they learn the tricks of the trade. And once they've mastered them, they go over to the corporate law firms and make a ton of dough using all the tricks of the trade they learn by trying to put sleazy politicians in jail to suddenly keep sleazy politicians out of jail. Welcome to Chicago. Wait, hold it. Here's the obligatory defense from Chicagoans that I get every time I point out how sleazy and corrupt we are. Ben, the same thing happens in other cities. <laughs> oh, my God. Folks, I've been, I've been writing a lot of sleazy uh, Chicago stories for a long time. Every time I do, I always get a letter from some reader. Ben, you know, New York. Something like this happened in New York. Ben, have you looked at Boston lately? Chicago, it's your trip. Anyway. To undercut the federal case against Burke, Burke's lawyers filed a motion trying to throw out the tapes on the grounds that there was no evidence that Burke intended to commit a crime just because he was talking to Solis. They called it entrapment. The feds filed a response, highly redacted. That means it's blacked out. So we don't know exactly what they were saying, what evidence they were uh, presenting to the judge. But they made sure that this one anti-Semitic bombshell was unredacted. Now, let me pause to speak to my Jewish listeners, some of whom may have been sympathetic at one time or another to Ed Burke, like a certain mayor of the city of Chicago, Rahm Emanuel. Not that Rahm's listening, but, but Rahm Emanuel, who thought it was a good idea to put Ed Burke in charge of the finance committee, which, as I may not have said this time, but I say almost all the other times, oversees every single major, every single contract that the city signs with a vendor and every single TIF handout. Very important position that Ed Burke had. Anyway, to my Jewish listeners, you saw how prejudiced Ed Burke was when he was dealing with Mayor Harold Washington during council wars. You think he's going to be more tolerant toward Jews? Use your heads. All right, back to my listeners of every faith. By chance, Chicago City Council held a meeting yesterday at City Hall. It was the first in-person meeting since COVID. And guess who showed up? Yes, Ed Burke, alderman of the 14th Ward. No, he's no longer in charge of the Finance Committee. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, let's give her credit, ladies and gentlemen. Let's give her credit. <laughs> she made sure that Ed Burke was not in charge of any committees. My lefty listeners always get mad at me when I give Lori Lightfoot credit for anything. They always go, Ben, you know, that was so easy. <laughs> well, if it was so easy to remove Ed Burke, how come Rahm Emanuel didn't do it? Just saying. How come Mayor uh, Richard M. Daly didn't do it? Just saying. Anyway, uh, Ed Burke showed up, and uh, that is impressive, folks. I got to say, uh, they had just released, the uh, feds had just released the goods on Burke with his anti-Semitic comments and with evidence of his sleazy wheeling and dealing, and his case was revived. It's back in the news. People are talking about it. The dude shows up. You got to be impressed. I mean, that is some really top-notch shamelessness. I mean, he's got to win award for the most shameless Chicago personality of the year. And he, he just strolls into that city council chamber like it's no big deal, walking around, shaking hands with colleagues, even though technically I still think he's supposed to be fist bumping, at least in Chicago. Even fist bumps Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Yeah, that was my, my, one of my favorite parts. Hey, Mayor, no problem, fist bump. 
By the way, uh, on a tangent, Mayor Lori Lightfoot also fist bumped uh, Alderman Raymond Lopez, according to accounts of the story. Dave Glowatz uh, told me this uh, today, this morning, when I talked to him on the phone, he will be on the show next week, breaking down all the events of the city council meeting. Anyway, back to Burke. So Burke, there's Burke strolling in the limelight at the city council meeting, got a mask on, give him credit for that. Of course he has to. Like nothing had happened, fist bumping, handshaking, back slapping, joke telling, having a good time. Meanwhile, Alderman Danny Solis is nowhere in sight. It's like he's in a witness protection program. You know, I'm starting to think that Dennis may be Danny Solis in disguise. Hmm. <laughs> Busted. He's, he, Busted flat in Baton Rouge. Yeah, anyway, he's, he's witness protection, folks. We haven't seen Danny Solis in over a year. Ever since the story broke, he was wearing a wire, and that's how it goes in Chicago. The guy who says disparaging things about Jewish people. The guy who shakes down city vendors for business, allegedly. That guy's like pals with everyone, just walks around, shaking hands, fist bumping, having a good time. But the guy who testifies against him, who arguably, for all his sleaziness, could be considered the hero in this mess. He's in hiding. Because he's a snitch. He's a rat. That's how it goes in Chicago. Oh, Chicago. What a town. We got a great show today, everybody. Dr. Pamela Grunemeyer will be with us. The downstate pathologist. She's been on the show a couple of times. I don't know if you guys remember her. Uh, she is uh, was a fierce supporter of Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders uh, campaigned for president at least twice. And she's a big believer in Medi- Medicare for all. Uh, she We call her the downstate pathologist. Uh, and she's going to take us from A to Z and all the latest Medicare for all news. Uh, and I may have a, a, a question or two or three or four about the pandemic to throw her away. She is a pathologist after all. So uh, we've already reached out to her. I see her here. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Pamela Gronemeyer, the downstate pathologist, will be joining us. Stick around, everybody. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from his attic. Uh, as promised, Dr. Pamela, for our downstate doctor, uh, has joined us and um, from just outside of Alton, Illinois. And she's been on the show with us. I think, Pamela, you've been on with us at least two other times. Two times. Before. Two times, yes. And um, I uh, love Pamela as a guest. I'll tell you why. She speaks her mind, number one. Number two, she's learned. She's a freaking doctor, for goodness sakes. So she can help us understand the complexities of biology, pathology, and the politics of healthcare, and to the point, she's like the modern day Dr. Quentin Young. She's a true blue progressive, and she championed Bernie Sanders and Medicare for all. And Dr. Pamela, I don't know a lot of doctors who carried the flag for Medicare for all. So thank you for doing that uh, back in it. Bernie didn't win. I voted for him. He didn't win. On we go. So we're going to talk about the state of Medicare for all uh, post Bernie's campaign. What's it like right now with uh, President Biden and uh, what are the options we're facing, including here in the state of Illinois. But before we get into that, when we were talking before we went on the air, uh, Pamela, you said a couple of things that I really have to follow up on having to do uh, with this pandemic that's been raging since March of last year. And one of which is, I think you said, only 65% of medical personnel are taking the shots. I wrote that down. I scribbled that down. 
Uh, and was I correct in writing that down? Okay, that was in my survey that I've done of my critical access hospitals in Southern Illinois. And a critical access hospital is a hospital that's limited to 25 beds and gets payment on base for fee for service, not Medicare rates. So, I mean, these are smaller Southern Illinois hospitals, not, I mean, I really need to query some of the larger hospitals and so I, so I can show the contrast. I hope. So you think, you think there would be a dramatic tra- uh, contrast is what you're saying? Oh, I hope so. Because yesterday, I, I, every time I go to an infection control meeting, I bring it up. And yesterday, I was told by the CEO of one of the hospitals that there are three critical access hospitals in the critical access hospital group where 90% of people have gotten, personnel have gotten them. But I mean, the thing is, it just bothers me that, you know, that 65% is not going to get us herd immunity. And people that, in well, you would hope that healthcare people would understand the need to get it, you know, probably maybe more than the general population, unless they did, pay, uh, relatives who died. Or gotten sick. Well, Pamela, what's going on psychologically? 65% uh, have got it. That means if my math is correct, hold on, let me do the quick calculation. 35% have not. How about that? I went to Evanston High School. All right. So um, why? What's going on? What's the message that's getting out there that's scaring off even doctors and nurses who should know better about the vaccine? Well, I think doctors are pretty good because 90% of doctors have gotten the shot. I mean, and they're always going to have 10% of doctors or for certain percentage who don't believe in anything or anything related to the government or have doubt everything. So 90% of doctors have gotten it. And I don't know what the percentage of nurses is, but I was told in some of the hospitals that the younger nurses who are contemplating pregnancy are sort of afraid to get it because there's some strange thought that this is going to get in your DNA. And it's there's no way this mRNA virus um module is going to get into your DNA. And so the other thing, so they're afraid they're, if they get pregnant, the, something will happen to their pregnancy. But in fact, it's been shown that they should get the shot because COVID in pregnancy is really bad. And plus the addition now, I, just, I had told you earlier that we do know there, is, there are antibodies that appear to cross the placenta and also are tra- uh, transmitted in, in uh, milk, mother's milk. So you're also giving your baby some immunity. Now, we don't know how long it will last, just like we don't know how long our immunity will last. But, I mean, it just doesn't make sense that healthcare workers wouldn't get it. And I mean, so I'm shocked by sometimes it's younger people that just want to wait. All right. I mean, most of the older people, I think, have got, gotten on board because we've seen the statistics. But I just think everybody, you know, I think we should be a good role model for the rest of the um, community. I uh, I tend to put a lot of the blame on a certain uh, Donald Trump uh, at moments like this. And I'd love to get your reaction to this because Donald Trump very early on in the pandemic realized uh, that it was a political tool that he could use to rally uh, his supporters. Uh, so he had a decision to make as the president of the United States, and he had to decide whether he was going to stick with his uh, science advisors and his medical advisors uh, on a certain pathway to encourage people to do things like social distancing, wear masks, and then eventually take the vaccine. Or he could play to his base. And he went with uh, option B. 
He went to the base and he at the very least, at the very best you could say about him. This is really not a compliment, Pamela. He sent a huge mixed message every now and then he would say, oh, yeah, wear a mask. I wear I wore a mask once. You know what I mean? Uh, and then he would go back to bashing masks and holding maskless rallies. Uh, he he got the vaccine, but he didn't make a big public. He did it privately. So no one could, you know, so I I uh, I I tend to think that had we had a different president in office at that time, or if Donald Trump, God help us all, had actually treated the pandemic as a serious health crisis and it stepped up to his role, we would be in a different situation right now. What's your thoughts? Well, I agree. First of all, I mean, he didn't want to wear masks and he didn't believe in distancing. So then he got COVID. But what he got when he got COVID, he got the... Um, antibody early on which wasn't really being offered at that time to everybody and he got over it which was you know amazing then he gets the shot as he goes out the door hiding that he got the shot and now i think he's even talking about i mean now he's like boosting the shots a little bit because i believe he thinks he invented them or he created them because you know he he theoretically you know was spending money on them but i i yeah i agree i mean i don't i don't know what to make of the fact that he gave so many mixed signals. I mean, and it was just, you know, but I think also what's frightening some people is the speed at which this vaccine was developed. But people have to realize this mRNA technology was being developed prior to we knew about COVID and they were waiting for a vaccine to, for, for a virus to try it on and then COVID appeared. So it wasn't like they came up with something overnight. This has been around and they've been, te- and it works well. So, I mean, I think people need to, I mean, especially that's what bothered me about people who work in hospitals. You have to trust science or why would you work in a hospital? So just, you know, listen, you know, don't be, you know, don't listen to the media. That's some of which is telling you false information. Listen to doctors, listen to scientists. And they say also that, I mean, I heard this morning on the on the TV that if doctors were able to give it in their offices, then their individual doctors could talk to people about it. But doctors are talking to their patients now because they are calling, asking them whether they should schedule a shot somewhere. And it's going to be a while before we're going to get it out in doctor's offices. So I think, and I was like elated the day I got mine. I mean, I got mine and then my husband was jealous and I figured out a way. He got his like three weeks later. So, you know, I mean, but, you know, everybody in my family was envious of the fact that I had gotten mine already. Well, now you're touching on a, a topic that I find uh, particularly frustrating. Get your thoughts on this. I, I've never understood why the vaccine wasn't readily available across the board for everybody within like a month. And please explain that to me. I get really frustrated when I put this out there uh, and talk to people uh, in public health about it. If we say this is a serious crisis, and if, as you pointed out, uh, the vaccine wasn't created overnight, uh, that we knew essentially uh, the ingredients, if you will, uh, we were waiting for the the virus to try it out on. And if, again, we are of unanimous opinion among scientists and doctors that this is a serious crisis that is affecting our country, the health of our country, the health of our economy, 
you would think the number one priority would be to get that vaccine in the arms of every single person in this country immediately. And yet here we are. What is it? April. I got a friend who just texted me. How do I get how do I get a vaccine? You know, they're coming to me, Pamela. You know you're desperate when you're coming to me. So explain where's the breakdown? Uh, in our healthcare system that we can't get this vaccine to everybody. Go ahead. Well, first of all, it had to be approved. And they're all approved on experimental use because they haven't gone through the full FDA approval because there's not time. So that was a hang up. Then they're very costly and they're also very hard to make. So also, he also didn't ramp up. You know, we talked about in World War II, we ramped up the Defense Act and we started producing things and other. Well, we didn't start doing that right away. I mean, and you know, that that slowed us down too. Plus, look, I mean, we've had how many vaccines? We've had Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, and now J&J, plus the ones in other countries. So, I mean, it's just, it's we could need to just ramp up more production, but that's not easy either because they have ramped up more production and there was a facility that mixed up the ingredients. So the Pfizer ingredients got put in Moderna and vice versa, so then they had to throw all those out. So it's not that easy, but you're right. We should ramp it up, but we are doing better. I mean, we've gotten 200 million injections in Biden's first 100 days. So we are really ramping it up. I mean, the biggest thing now is that once again, we have a hiccup with the J&J vaccine because of this clotting issue. And I mean, but, and we really need that. We really need a one-shot vaccine. So I hope that we can come up with some conditions that we can say, don't give it here, but use it elsewhere. And I mean, because it will be good for the whole rest of the world, because it's not just the United States. We have to vaccinate the world because we're a global global world now. I mean, people go everywhere. Right now, we're not going anywhere, but it'll happen again. And we need to have people that go back and forth. Yeah. Uh, by the way, so my question to you is the one uh, my wife wanted me to ask you, and that is, do you have any sense, when I told her you were on the show, uh, do, and, and she wants to know, do, do you have any sense of how long a vaccine will protect somebody against the virus? In other words, how long before we have to get vaccinated again? Well, see, we don't know that because what happens now is we know now that it lasts like six months, probably, because when that was when the start of some of the shots were given out. But now we have to just follow it. But ideally, if you think hopefully it will last a year and we'll get maybe a vaccine, another booster next year, just like the flu vaccine. But also that adds up the immunity, you know, so the more, you know, maybe at the first we'll have to get back, you know, shots every year. But I don't think we can predict now, but that's why they're watching. And I mean, they're, you know, they're waiting to see before we really need a booster because we know we would really like to get everybody their first shots before we start boosting people. Yeah. So I think Uh, we just have to wait and see. So that's what's, that's part of the process right now. Just test waiting to see if so how long, Oh my God, what a thought. So in other words, if people start getting, who've been uh, vaccinated, start getting uh, the virus, in six months, then we go, then we'll know, oh, it's a six month protection. If, if, uh, if it's a year, then we know, oh, it's a year protection. It's, well, it's that's sort like- of how, I mean, it, that's sort of like the scientific method. That's the only way you can do is, you know, follow the, follow the antibody levels. The only thing is too, is the challenge of the variants. We don't know mm-hmm. what the variants will do to the, the immunity. 
But, you know, I mean, I think now we have pretty good immunity for at least, this, you know, the, and I've had mine how many, four months, almost five months. So, I mean, I, I but I just, I'm, I'm still like, I just think that every doctor and everybody has to ask people around him, did you get the vaccine? And if they tell you that you didn't, you need to, you know, even in the grocery store, I mean, I may not be happy and you, you don't want anybody screaming or throwing, throwing cans of food at you, but you really have to. We really have to be spreading the message. And I think the TV commercials are good. Mm. The CDC's put on a lot of good infomercials, which I think are helping. What's your position on the vaccine passports? The notion that you have before, like you get on an airplane, you have to show that. I mean, I myself think that's not a bad idea. Hell, I have to show it in every hospital that I've had a TB test, a hepatitis test, and my shot. I mean, and what happens, I mean, when you got your shot, you got your card, right? Yes. So, I mean, just plasticize your card. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, I think it would make everybody feel comfortable. And once again, I don't think that's a, you know, some people think that's an attack on your civil rights. You know what? Our civil rights also are to make sure that everybody around us is safe. Aren't we a community? I mean, I thought that was what, you know, the United States were united. So, therefore, we should want to interact with everybody and help everybody. All right. So I'm, before we move on to Medicare for all, I'm going to propose uh, a deal with my MAGA friends and listeners. All right. You guys say that uh, having a, uh, a passport uh, proving that you've got the shot is a critical infringement on your liberties as American citizens. All right. But you think it's perfectly acceptable to ask every voter in Georgia to show an ID before you can vote. So let's cut a deal. You know, if you drop your resistance to uh, passports for the vaccine, I'll think about dropping my resistance to your proposals. Isn't that interesting, Pamela, how they uh, some things are critical infringements on liberties and other things are not. I think what we should do, too, is we should ask our mega fans to ask their former president to show us his card. He can't put it anymore, but maybe he could find some other way to put it on. You know, I'd like to see his card. I mean, and what I did with my card is I took a picture of it. So it's on my phone, too. And so it'll be on my iPad. So if anybody should ask, because, I mean, I'm really sort of proud of it. I'm not, I mean, I, I just don't understand this, you know. You have to get a driver's license. I mean, what is this infringement on civil liberties? No, people have lost their freaking minds. Uh, that's uh, where we're at in America right now. And, uh we're going to switch now to Medicare for all. Pamela and I uh, both supported Bernie Sanders. I voted for Bernie Sanders two for two. The last two uh, primaries, I voted for Bernie. He lost. And then I always voted, dutifully voted for whoever the uh, mainstream uh, uh, Democrat that the Dems put up, Hillary Clinton and, of course, Joe Biden. I have to say, I'm making a concession here. As much as I love Bernie, I feel that Joe Biden uh, has done a good job since he's been president. Get your thoughts on this, Pamela. Just how do I explain this? In his either his just ability to absorb blows and not seem affected by it and just move on with his business. So in other words, they say all kinds of mean, nasty things about him on Fox and uh, various uh, MAGA outlets, and he just kind of just moves on, just doesn't seem to let it bother him. Uh, I Maybe that's the right strategy to employ as we go forward. Just, you know, just uh, just to diffuse uh, things a little bit. 
What's your thoughts about how Joe Biden has done so far? Oh, well, I think he's done pretty, I mean, I think he's done become more progressive than we thought he was. And I think, you know, Joe Biden is a politician. He knows how to, he knows how to, you know, take insults, not overreact. And, you know, cause he's been in politics for how many years he knows the Senate. He knows what people are going to say. And, you know, realistically, the beauty of him is he seems more caring. I mean, when he talks to you, he talks like, you know, he's been through things. Well, I mean, he used to ride that train and talk to people on the train. So how many senators can say that have that much exposure to regular people? Because, I mean, we're not talking about people that are flying on the airplanes because, I mean, trains are cheaper and they're, you know, they're getting more local commuters. And he talked to him. He enjoyed the conversation. So I think he's done a, a, a good job. I mean, I, people always want him to do more. But, I mean, he's also limited by what he has. He has a Congress that doesn't have very many, uh, that large a Democratic majority. He has a Senate that theoretically is 50-50 plus one when he had Harris to vote for the Democrats. But with the the 60% rule for voting for something, and if we don't get rid of the filibuster, his hands are tied somewhat. So we really need to keep figuring out ways and keep supporting him in our grassroots efforts trying to promote everything he's done, you know, and, you know, try to encourage him and, you know, not, not let him get away with anything, but, you know, say, do you're doing a good job so far, but keep it up. Uh, The train uh, Pamela is alluding to, of course, is the Amtrak that he rode for many years uh, from his home in Delaware uh, to Washington when he was a Senator after his wife died uh, in just, just at the moment when he was uh, taking office as a Senator way back in, uh, the early 1970s. All right, let's move on to what we would like him to do. And we're talking about the state of healthcare for all without Bernie. So why don't you just start with just, just an overall statement of where we are. There was such optimism. The first time you were on the show, uh, we're in the middle of the Democratic primary. It was before the pandemic. Bernie was really strongly articulating the need uh, for healthcare for all, for Medicare for all plan. Uh, you could see Joe Biden at that time was playing it middle ground. No, we don't need it. We don't need it. You know, we just have to uh, improve Obamacare. It it seems like ancient history, Pamela, that we were actually discussing and debating these things. Now here we are in uh, 2021, and it's not clear or obvious to people that any proposals are being advanced. But tell us what is happening uh, on the healthcare front. Go ahead. Well, with what's happening, I mean, the one thing that Biden, with the... um, the Recovery Act they just passed. Now, the way it's set up now, rather than Bernie had proposed the emergency health care guaranteed, uh, it was a health care guaranteed emergency act, whereby the people who had lost their insurance from their employers could get put on Medicare for all, Medicare temporarily until things improved, and then they could come back. That would give people a taste of Medicare because they're always telling us when we talk about Medicare for all, I mean, Senator Durbin said it, that he wants to see what people think because people just love their employer's health insurance. And they're so afraid if they give it up, they won't, you know, you never want to give up. Well, change is inherently frightening. So you never want to give up what you have if you don't know what you're really going to get. So that's what, but this would have given people an opportunity to try it and see it. But what instead they did with the Recovery Act, they're going to fund COBRA payments. So they're going to fund 100% of COBRA payments. The, your employer's going to pay it, and then they're going to give the employer a tax credit. 
But the problem is, once again, we're giving a lot of money to health insurance companies. And, you know, they're going to be happy because they're going to be getting guaranteed payment. And once again, that employer health insurance, many people can't even use it because their co-pays are so, or deductibles are so high. I mean, the hospitals you see have good health insurance for all their employees. Now they're at $5,000 deductibles. You know, the average person doesn't have $5,000 just sitting around for a deductible. So, I mean, I think that that was an opportunity that Biden missed because, and I don't think it really ever got proposed because there was so much resistance to it. Because I guess they figured if that was there, the Republicans would vote against it. So that's what's holding up the federal idea of Medicare for all. Not that we're not talking about it, but that's why so many single, so states are working on single bills like California and New York. And if they are California, New York, and Oregon, because people think you could have a California single payer plan, or you could have a left coast single payer plan. Mm-hmm. Or Before we have- move to the state by state plans, right. let's just go back to what you were talking about—a uh, sort of a retreat uh, from uh, a Medicare for all moment—and we went to the Cobra model. Uh, so if you uh, you lose your job for, because of the pandemic, uh, and you lost your health care that you get from your job, uh, then the feds will pick up the cost of a COBRA plan so that you do not lose uh, benefits. Uh, So that seems to be a calculated retreat, Pamela, from the Bernie cry uh, as for uh, Medicare for all, as though, how do I put this, as though that the position advocated by Amy Klobuchar in those debates, Joe Biden in those debates, debates, Congressman Tim Ryan in those debates, I can hear all the voices of those Democratic candidates who were against Bernie on this matter and chided him for even suggesting it. It's as though they have eventually, have carried the day at this moment in time and the, the, the people that are running the government have decided that Bernie's plan is too radical uh, for these moments. Am I right in my analysis right. of this? They're working on buttressing up the ACA. I mean, that's what part of it's, but a lot of it is, you know, because they're increasing subsidies to the ACA. So they're working on buttressing up the ACA with the theory that it's still going to work. Now, there has been some thought you might drop the Medicare age down to 60. So you'd pick up between 60 and 65. I mean, but once again, that doesn't help the situation because you still have all those other, you know, you have still have all those other payers that doctors have to pay. You know, we have to send millions of different claims to millions of different uh, insurance companies. So that doesn't help. So, but I think, you know, partly we have to be realistic that even how much, how much we push, we're not going to get it through the Senate, <laughs> you know, with, unless we get rid of the, I mean, unless we get rid of the filibuster, I mean, it was not going to go through the Senate. And I don't even know what vote you'd need for Medicare for all. But I mean, I just think that, you know, we need to be a little real. We need to still talk about it and explain it and tell you why we want a federal plan. But supporting the state plans is not a bad idea because that's how Canada went from Saskatchewan to Canada. It started in one province and they saw that it worked and wow, it worked. So why don't we just do it? And, you know, no matter what, People say, the naysayers say, Canadians are not going to give up their health care. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the state-by-state plans. Uh, What are some of the states where it's advancing to the stage where it's almost a reality? Well, California is advancing. New York State is advancing. I mean, Washington's advancing. Massachusetts would be advancing. You know, Massachusetts, the home of Romney Care, which was our ACA 
So, I mean, I think there are states that are venting, but there is a holdup because they have to be able to get access to the federal money from Medicare, Medicaid, whatever, and so that they can use that to, to pay the providers. And they also have to get around the ERISA laws, which say that um, they can, states can't change employer health ben- or employer benefits. So they have to get around that. So that's why it's important that Ro Khanna, who's a representative from the congressional, uh, 17th Congressional District in California, which I looked up as the South Bay area, he is gonna. He had proposed before a bill to get waivers, to get the waivers, and also to modify the, um, give them more flexibility in the states and how they can set this up. And he proposed it, and he's gonna bring it out again in May. So that's what the, the state plans are looking for. They want to get that passed so that we they can move forward. I mean, they are really serious. I mean, in California about it. I mean, they have tried several times. I mean, they had passed it before in the House and Senate, and then Schwarzenegger vetoed it. Then they got Democratic governors, and then they couldn't pass it through the House or the Senate. They wouldn't get as many sponsors, so it was sort of like a setup. But now, you know, I mean, I think people know how many people are still uninsured and underinsured. And we know people are still dying from not getting health care. I mean, they say 38,000 deaths are attributed to not having health insurance or having health care, not health insurance, because it's really health care you want. And it just, you know, we just need to to fix this problem. So I'm, I mean, I'm forgetting it any way we can mm-hmm. to at least see that it works. All right. Uh, and just so folks know, uh, the current governor of California, Gavin Newsom, is facing a uh, recall effort. We're going to be talking about that on the show next week. We're going to bring some people on to talk about that. Okay, so know, while the, then what, they recall, they tried to, I mean, they started the recall the day after he got elected. Yeah, no. They do that with every Democratic governor. Yeah. And he didn't help himself. Now we're going to tangent. No. He did not help himself at all in any way in the middle of the pandemic by going out to eat with his pals. I forget the name of the restaurant. In wine was, country. He went to wine, wine country. country and went out with his buddies. Yeah, that yeah. was bad. It was horrible. I, but I just blanking that it was like a French name or something. It just compounding how bad it was, uh, Pamela. And you just think of what the stakes are. I mean, why do Democrats do these foolish things? Pamela, that, <laughs> I don't know. Sure. I, that was that was really dumb because he probably didn't think anyone would notice. Maybe I don't know. Who knows? They're probably he knows that they have to be following him. Absolutely, and um, it just undercut the whole effort, and that fired up the recall event, uh, recall uh, movement. And I believe they've collected enough signatures to get it on the ballot. I think they uh, need three hundred thousand or something like that. Yeah, and and they're right now counting them, going through them, and uh, they're getting it on the ballot. It's not at all clear he'll, uh, there'll be an, a majority of the people will vote for it. So he'll probably survive it. But um, anyway, when when Democrats do foolish things like that, it undercuts and really important issues like health care for all uh, and uh, undercuts the effort to get that in, uh, in California. All right, let's talk about here in Illinois, our home state, your downstate, I'm upstate. Uh, what's going on in Illinois in terms of a Medicare for all plan? Well, Representative Mary Flowers, who's from the Chicago area, mm-hmm. she has been the, uh, you know, the healthcare advocate all along for many years. And she once again proposed a universal healthcare bill for Illinois. It's, HB 62 and it's it's come it was passed out of the committee and it was yesterday was the second reading on the floor is what I read on the 
the Illinois uh, General Assembly website. And the only issue about it is that, like so many state single-payer bills, she has references to HMOs in it. Now, they're not-for-profit HMOs, but the problem with an HMO is that instead of paying what single-payer wants you to do, is they want you to have a budget, a global budget for the hospitals. And you pay the hospitals a global budget, and they set up how they're going to, how you're going to, you know, the hospitals are going to handle it. Then the doctors are independent contractors, or, you know, they're the providers, so they bill Medicare just mm-hmm. like we bill conventional Medicare. But the way it's set up is you put a capitation in that. Capitation means you're getting paid for every member, the insurance company gets paid so much per month. And capitation doesn't work with single payer because it's another permutation. You're not getting rid of the, you're trying to get rid of the administrative waste and HMO just puts administrative waste in it. Now you could do it there. I was reading on, there's a group called one payer state and they call this the Trojan horse in single payer bills that you could set up for like the Kaiser Permanente or the, you could set up a way you pay the hospitals that Kaiser goes to they have in their budget something to give the Kaiser Permanente group, doctor group to pay, use it to pay them. But that's in the global budget. So what we need to do is get rid of that HMO reference in her bill. Because it's really not as it's really not right now a universal health care bill. Mm. And so would her bill, this is the first question uh, everybody's going to want to know, would her bill require everybody to, in, the, in the state of Illinois to give up their private insurance? Yeah. Well, yeah, except for things like, you know, Botox and you know, breast augmentation or, what you know, anything that's not not necessary. Because the theory of Medicare for all is that you're going to have, you know, the essential necessary thing and you don't really have. I mean, a cosmetic surgery, if you have one with a cleft palate or you have, you know, something that needs to be fixed, that's obvious. You pay for that, but not for like, you know, cosmetics. And so how do you th- see this playing out politically like what do you think what what do you anticipate the counter rhetoric will be from folks who are against uh this proposal you know it's going to be we're broke illinois broke i mean so realistically that's the problem with illinois may not be a good state to try to do propose it because right now you know we're broke and i mean but that's why you have to have some sort of payment mechanism in it and actually, in the bill, in the Massachusetts bill, they do have a payment mechanism. They have a seven point five percent employer tax plus a two point five percent employee tax to cover it, which and the seven point five percent trust me is less than I pay for my employers than my employees United Healthcare mm. now. So that would be no problem. And the two point five percent covers the fact that when the doc, people go to the doctor or there's no deductible and no copay. So, I mean, you're paying, what you're doing is you're paying your tax to cover your copay and deductible and the employer is still paying the 7.5% employee tax. And how much would the federal government uh, be lending or, or, or contributing? Their, their Medicare, yeah. the Medicare money and the Medicaid money they put in now. And I mean, you know, depending on what else they put into it. But I mean, I think, you know, TRICARE and the VA and I and TRICARE, VA and well, the Indian health, those would be sort of left out. Yeah. Well, I, I am anticipating already. I can hear the rhetoric. <laughs> I can hear it. I've been dealing this, uh, Pamela, for a long time. 
Uh, they'll say they're taking your doctor away. They'll say it's socialist medicine. They'll say they're raising your taxes. That'll be the big thing. They're raising your taxes. And um, I believe they will put the Democrats on the defensive oh, on yeah. the eve of a uh, gubernatorial election. Don't forget, J.B. <laughs> Pritzker's up 2022, oh, just around the corner. It's my guy. My guy is talking about running. Rodney Davis, he's in the 13th. He's already <laughs> talked about running for governor. I mean, he's already made references. And a lot of his newsletters now are about what Pritzker's doing wrong. And he's like in the federal government. So you can see where he's looking. Yeah. Uh, by the way, your guy, that was the one I was laughing. Like Rodney, like Pamela in a million years has ever voted for Rodney Davis. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, so I, I cannot imagine uh, given the, the all the obstacles, I think JB Pritzker is in pretty good shape, by the way, because he has for many, oh. many reasons. But he he's he's got a lot of a lot of money to to spend on a campaign. But all the obstacles he's facing coming out of the pandemic, with we just got finished talking about the the passion of the anti-vaccine movement and the anti-mass movement, and uh, in your neck of the woods in particular. Uh, there's a lot of Pritzker suck signs that uh, were on people's oh, yeah. lawns. Yeah, you're right. You know, so I got a hard time imagining J.P. Pritzker going, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to add to this by coming out uh, in support of a uh, Medicare for all plan for the state of Illinois. I think the time for him to do this, if he's going to sign on to it, Pamela, being realistic, it would be in 2023 after he is uh, successfully uh, elected to a second term. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I agree. I agree with that. I mean, I don't think it really is going to go anywhere in Illinois, but we're still thinking about it. And I mean, I think that, you know, like between you and me, I think Prisker's done almost everything he promised to do. But I'll tell you, he did talk when he ran about a Medicaid for all plan. Because I know he came down to, um, he was in Edwardsville, and he was talking about a Medicaid for all plan. The problem is Medicaid for all. Medicaid is not, is third, I mean, it's not good medical care because you can't get specialists and a lot of doctors don't take it. But he did talk about Medicaid for all. And when I asked him about Medicare for all, he said he couldn't do anything about that because it was a federal plan. So, I mean, but I, I don't, I think you're right. It's not going to go anywhere, but we're thinking about it and it gives us a chance to talk about it. And this with Mary Flowers, I was looking in through my, um, when I, I got ready for this and I, I queried Mary Flowers and Mary Flowers came down to Granite City. I brought her down to Granite City and to Carbondale's in 2010 when she talked about her, about the universal health care plan. Cause she's been an advocate for a while. But I, I, you should see the, the comments in the original intelligencer, which is re not really a very progressive newspaper about her performance. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I think that I think the only thing now is people are a little bit more familiar with it. Thanks to Bernie and thanks to the debates and everything. So I think, you know, Medicare for all it looks like it's popular among the general population, except for, you know, veteran Democrats and a Republican but if we can get Republicans to realize it's going to save money, isn't that what they are, fiscal conservatives? Yeah, well, the, so, the answer rhetorically is yes, and the answer yeah. reality is no. Uh, they're just for whatever they can use, manipulate to get reelected. And I just, to, to that last point that you made about the popularity of it, I will, I will show that I've seen a lot of articles coming out uh, covering 
what's going on in Washington, talking about how the infrastructure bill, for instance, Joe Biden's infrastructure bill uh, is hugely popular across the country. Even among Republicans, it has support. Republican voters say they support it. Not one Republican in Congress or Senate has spoken up in support of it. And so I take that lesson and apply it to Medicare as well. And that is this, where the Republican Party is right now, Pamela, they are in constant opposition mindset. They will oppose anything the Democrats propose uh, because this is their tool to keeping their base together, to get their base to feel as though somehow or other their essential liberties are being infringed upon or their essential rights are being denied them or there's this monolithic, scary, frightening specter that's like communist that's about to take over their country. And so anything the Republicans do to fire that up, they will do. It's really frustrating because I have so many centrist Democrats who come on this show, Pamela, and they want to say the right things and talk about bipartisanship. And if I'm real with them, I go, where is the bipartisanship? I don't see it anywhere. So to your point about Medicare for all, I think it would be hugely popular among a lot of people, including Republicans. But we're so easily brainwashed by where we're at politically, it's hard to get a find one Republican to support it. But don't you think it's because our because I mean, realistically, the Senate is they're elected by the state people, the people in the state. They don't represent the true electorate. I mean, it's all about power, and there are senators from states that Democrats are predominant, and they and even their Republicans want, and they still don't represent their constituents. So this is really not like a a. a representative democracy because we elect them and then they do what they want. They don't care what we want. It's the same thing with gun control. We want gun control. I mean, I'm tired of listening every day to the next disaster. I mean, it's, you know, it it just, it's just horrible. I mean, what's a country where we're known for how many mass shootings we have. I mean, is that awful? So, I mean, I think it's, you know, my husband says it's, they want power. It's just a sheer hold on to power they're trying to get to. That's why. But I mean, once they already say, well, we're not going to vote for anything, they haven't heard the bill even. So how ridiculous is that? Yeah. By the way, I have a hard time believing that Rodney Davis can get elected governor. I'm just saying, I'm throwing that out there. Uh, I have a hard time believing that Adam Kinzinger can get elected governor. Uh, And it'll be a very heated Republican primary battle. Uh, Darren Bailey, state senator, who's, I think he's east of where you live. And a very conservative. He's a sort of the leader of the MAGA forces uh, in the state house. He's already he's running, and one of his proposals is to take away all firearm uh, identification uh, requirement. <laughs> Pamela, oh my, that's, pretty, that's, that's that's really bad, you know. And Rodney Davis, I didn't really even know that Rodney Davis. Remember that he worked for Shimkus because I used to go and see Shimkus because when I was in the fifteenth. Yeah. And I go in that then when Rodney Davis, we became the 13th part of the 13th. Then I went in his office and he like knew me. It's like, Oh, you know me. It's like, yeah, yeah I know you. It's like, but you don't agree with me on anything. You know, every time I go in and talk about Medicare for all, I have to hear about socialism. Yes. you got- <laughs> Socialism. It's not, it's privately <laughs> delivered, publicly funded. That is not socialism. It's not owned by the, every, the, all the medical care is not owned by the government. 
But he just, you know, he, and the VA, oh, he thinks the VA people hate the VA. That's not true. They love the VA. If you talk to veterans, they love it. Yeah. The problem is the Republic is underfunded. Yeah. So, I mean, you know. Uh so uh, we'll close with this. Uh, you're our downstate uh, observer. Do you have any sense that the Democrats have an opportunity to pick up votes or is downstate in your neck of the woods just as pro MAGA as they were in the 2020 presidential election? Well, see, I have hope for the Metro East because St. Clair County, which is south of me, which is Belleville, I mean, they still vote for Democrats. The Madison County, we've gotten a lot more progressively Republican, but I hope that we can switch to that. Now, I'm not sure what I can do farther south, because farther south, you know, we have a, um, if you go on Highway 64 near the Kaskaskia River, there's like swamp land around the Kaskaskia River because it always overflows its banks. And there are these trees that have like been exposed to water and are like not really alive. Somebody made a Trump forest. They they like staple Trump signs to the trees so every time i go it's then they're still there i don't think they'll ever deteriorate but every time i go by it i think it's like the trump forest so you know i mean i don't know and we had the shimkus's woman who followed shimkus in the 15th she was the one who was famous for saying that she what hitler had told the youth he was quoting what hitler told the youth it's like or about the youth it's like you never quote hitler there's not one thing that hitler said you would quote yeah, uh, that uh, Pam is referring to uh, Congresswoman Mary, Mary Miller, who said, and I am quoting, Hitler was right. <laughs> Anything that comes after Hitler was right is wrong. Yeah, and then right. her, her uh, we hey, talked ben. about this a lot on the show, Pamela. Her, in many ways, her apology was worse. Her explanation was worse than her original statement. She should have just kept her mouth shut. There's one thing, can I say, Ben, before I go? Yes. Go Washington, D.C., Yes. I want to say that Washington, D.C. is a 51st state. Yeah. Uh, that, by the way, we had a guest on the show, this, uh, the shadow senator from the uh, Washington, D.C., Paul Strauss. He's, he's, uh, he doesn't get to vote in the Senate because wa- no Washington, D.C. is not a state, uh, but he gets to walk around the Senate and he has an office there. And he was on the show on Tuesday advocating, get, asking all progressives in the state of Illinois, I'm going to write a column about it as well, all progressives, you're looking for something to put your efforts on, forget the fair map in the state of Illinois. Oh, that's a Republican Trojan horse to quote Pamela, get involved. If you got it, if you have the energy to get involved in a fair map crusade, I say switch it over to making uh, uh, Washington, a state get two democratic senators in there. And that may be, maybe we can talk about Medicare for all. All right. Before I let you go, uh, I know you have a show that you would like to promote and uh, tell all our listeners if they want to hear more all about it. Okay. It's on tonight and it's on the, um, I'm just going to find you the reference. It's on the, the state. The thing is the one payer mm-hmm. state, which is the, a group that is focused on trying to get, well, I mean, they want single payer federally or statewide, mm-hmm. but you know, like I said, they're focused on statewide. So they're going to have, we're going to have a pr- program tonight on about um, Medicare disadvantage. And it's been, I, it's been, we've been working on it for like two weeks. Not that, and I mean, I've learned everything I can. Well, I knew about Medicare disadvantage because I'm on Medicare advantage, but I think that um, 
people might want to listen to it. And I'm just trying to figure out where my reference is. Hmm. And I may not. Ben, could I just send it to you and you could post it? Yeah, that's that'll work as well. All right, Pam. Okay. I want to thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. Our downstate pathologist, every Chicago podcast needs a downstate pathologist. Thanks, Pamela. (laughs) Thank you, Ben. Thank you. All right. For everything. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Take care, uh, Pamela. And uh, yeah, Pamela Gronemeyer. I've actually seen that Trump force she was talking about. I saw it last week. Oh, you saw the Trump force? I saw exactly what she was talking about. Yeah, we went to Garden of the Gods and on the way there on the highway, like, oh, my God, (laughs) a Trump forest. They love him. Downstate loves Donnie. What can I tell you? Anyway, I want to thank uh, Dr. Pamela Gronemeyer, uh, the downstate pathologist, still fighting a good fight for Medicare for all. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, another downstater, without whom the show could be possible. And, uh, and I'm also Dr. a doctor. Pamela, Dr. Pamela will tell you. Everyone in Alton calls him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. I want an answer. I want an answer.